Well, today we're going to carry on the little series that we've been doing um, on Romans 5. So if you could um, open there while I start. Well, as Richard Hodges um, said, he's been, um, well, I think it was his idea, I don't know, because um, he was the one who asked me to, to speak, so I'm assuming it was, you know, his doing. Um, he's asked a few different people to do a few different verses of Romans 5, but he's only given me one verse to talk about, a single verse, which is just one sentence long. And I was like, okay, All right. So I was like, well, you know, I went to him a few weeks ago to just say, how long should this be? Because surely he knows it's only one sentence long. And he's like, oh, however long it takes for you to to convey the message. <laughs> I was like, right. Um, you know, in my mom's church back in Brazil, sometimes the, the services last over two hours. <laughs> and he said, they, and he said, that's fine, you know. In one church, he was telling me, one church, there's this guy who got up and preached. He gave a full message. When he was done, he went to sit down, and then someone else got up and delivered another message of the same service. And I was like, okay, great. Um, so if there's no maximum time, is there a minimum time, I asked him. <laughs> you know, that I need to fill, you know. And he said, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh. Um, what, but you, and I was thinking in my head, do you realize it's just one verse? It's just one sentence. Not very long one. And, um, and he told me another story <laughs> of someone else who had prepared a nice long preach. You know, he did study and all that. And when he was about to get up and give the message, God told him to just say a single sentence. And so he got up. He said one sentence and sat back down. And I was like, gosh, okay. <laughs> That's not very helpful, but thanks, Richard. I'll do my best. Now, I haven't timed this. I'm just joking, by the way. I don't, can't see Richard anywhere, but I am joking. I mean, this conversation did happen, but I mean, I didn't time this, but it's only two pages long. I'm assuming it's not going to take me two hours, but you never know. Hopefully it won't. <laughs> don't think it's going to just take me five minutes either. But we'll see. We'll see. So Romans 5, I was kind of expecting someone to read it um, before because that's what's been happening. But, you know, for some reason, on my day, it's all different. <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. We'll make it happen. We'll make it work. Um, I don't remember. That's fine. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault either. It's all Richard's fault. Okay, I'm just gonna let's just assume that oh, I can see him over there. Oh, your fault, Richard. Anyway, um, so we'll we'll read a bit more than just one verse because come on, it's just one sentence. Oh. So let's start from Romans five verse one, and then we'll go to verse. Let me think. Oh, I don't know. We'll see where we stop. Eleven, maybe. That's a little paragraph there. No, more than a paragraph. Oh, anyway, let's, let's do it, see what happens. Right, is everyone there? I'm assuming everyone is. You can just, you can just hear it if, if you don't have your Bible there. You should have your Bible, by the way, but anyway. Okay, here we go. Therefore, 
since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And this hope, oh, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this is so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Yay. So, um, I'll give a little, um, a little quick, you know, overview of, of Romans. So maybe this might take two hours. I don't know. Anyway, no, it won't. So Paul wrote this, uh, this letter to the Romans. And the Romans were, you know, back when Paul was still alive and all that was happening. Um, it was the early church that he was writing to. And basically, the early church um, constituted of um, lots of Jews, because that was Jesus' first, like, inner circle. It was a bunch of Jews. And then later on, some non-Jews started joining in. So the early church was basically a bunch of Jews, a bunch of Gentiles, all together. Yeah? So Paul's writing to that kind of church. Um, so the theme of the whole letter of Romans is actually... Let me open here. You don't need to open. If you want to go there, then happy days. It's Romans 1, um, verse 16 and 17 verses. So basically the whole idea of Romans is kind of, you know, summarized there. I'll quickly read it if you're there. Great. If not, then that's fine. Um, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel here is, um, is the good news. Literally means good news, which is basically that Jesus is the Messiah, and he died and rose again for us. Woo! That's the gospel in a nutshell. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And when he says it's written, he means in the Jewish um, scripture that he used to use. And we do too, by the way. <laughs> the Old Testament. Um, 
Right, so basically, like I said, that's basically the whole theme of Romans summarized there. And he, he basically, God offers his gift of his righteousness to everyone who comes to Christ by faith, not by work or by the law or anything like that. You just believe and that's it. Happy days. Um, so Paul wrote Romans to reveal God's sovereign plan, plan of salvation. And he kind of talks about that in, is divided into three little blocks, Romans is, as I was reading, as I was researching for this one sentence that I'm going to talk about. So from chapters one to eight, he, he kind of exposes this plan of salvation. He explains what it is, what happened there, and all that. So, and then from chapters 9 to 11, he's going to talk about how both Jews and Gentiles fit into that plan. Because originally, you know, the Jews, Jewish people were God's people. But then after Jesus came and he was the Messiah, and lots of Jews were like, nah, nah, he's not our Messiah. So he's like, fine, bring everybody else in. And then here we are, all the Gentiles in as well, which is great. Great for us, <laughs> you know. Um, so Jews and Gentiles fit into God's plan, which is great. And then from chapters 12 to 16, he's basically um, telling us how to live righteous and harmonious life, lives together, both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so that's a little overview of Romans. And so we're going to dive a bit deeper into that one sentence, which is Romans 5, 6. So I'll read that one again. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So, it starts with, you see, or in some translations it says, for, and in my Bible here, in the Portuguese side, because my Bible is, is half Portuguese, half English, in, in my Portuguese side here, if you translate word by word, it actually says, in fact, that's how it starts. So there's all these different um, connecting expressions, you know, you see, or for, or in fact, because that one little sentence is connected to what Paul said before. And what he said right before was what Linda was uh, telling us about, I think, two weeks ago. Now I'll just quickly read verse 5 again which is, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So, how do we know that God has indeed poured out his love into our hearts? How do we know he's lavished us with his great love? Well, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's how we know. It's all connected. So let's dig a bit deeper. The next bit of the sentence says, at just the right time. So now, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes 3. And I have to find it as well because that little marker thing that comes with the Bible well, my daughter pulled that out. <laughs> so I can't actually mark anything in my Bible anymore with that little thingy. But fine, Ecclesiastes 3, 
everyone there? We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 8. Um, right, I'll just start. Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So, what Solomon talks about here is the you know, time for everything. There is a time for everything. Um, and a season for everything. So this this time for everything can be divided into many different um, like categories and, and time scales, if you like. Let me just go back to Romans here. Um, so, for instance, a time for everything can be um, used, for instance, within a day. So in one day, we have a time to wake up, and then we have a time to fall back asleep. We have a time to eat, then a time to stop eating, because you're not going to be eating all day, hopefully. And, you know, time to wash the dishes, put things away. There is a time to work, and then there's a time to rest, hopefully, um, and so on. You can also see this time for everything within a week. For instance, there's a time to come to church, there's a time to go to work, there's a time to go food shopping, you know, there's, again, a time for resting, hopefully, and all that jazz. And you get the picture, you can have a look at this time for everything within a month and a year and a decade and all that. And also, we can look at this time for everything from a God perspective and his time for everything. So if we look at the Bible, for instance, there is the very beginning God creating everything. So there was a time where he was creating the whole world. And then after that, he rested. God himself rested. I think that's mind-blowing. I've always found that mind-blowing. God rested. And there is a period that he's like pouring his blessings on the Jews, you know, back in the Hebrews. Um, and then there was a time when he refrained from doing that because they went off in their own ways, doing their own thing and, you know, being disobedient to God. And then they plead, oh, God, help us. Oh, and then God blessed them again and so on and so forth. Um, there was also time for everything, this God perspective, where he was using people like prophets to say a bunch of things. And the Bible was being written. The Old Testament was being written by all these you know, the kings and the, the prophets, the major prophets, minor prophets, all that, the Bible was being written. And then there was a time when that stopped. And the Bible, the Old Testament stopped being written. And then there was another time when the New Testament was being written. You know, you get the, the whole idea. There was a time for everything, even in the God scale. And so, let me 
change the page. Was that one now long, one page? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so, there was, in this big scope of a God time for everything, there was this one time where many, many prophecies were fulfilled and Jesus was born. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, he was born, fulfilling loads of prophecies. And then he lived, again, fulfilling loads of prophecies. And then he died, also fulfilling loads of prophecies. And then he rose again, again, fulfilling prophecies. How amazing is that? It's great. So just to, to make sure that, you know, I was, I'm not just plucking this out of thin air. I did get two little Bible verses there to, to prove that, you know, this is not just me speaking. I did get this from somewhere. And so the, the, the time, at the right time, just the right time for, for instance, in Galatians 4, 4, you don't have to open there, it's just a little sentence. I mean, you can if you want to. Galatians 4, 4, it's just one sentence. <laughs> and it says, but when the times, when the time, I'll start again. Galatians 4, 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and it continues. But that's the important bit that I wanted to mention. This is basically talking about Jesus' birth. Okay? When the set time had fully come, you know, it wasn't just a random event. It was a set time, set by God, by the way. And then this, the next verse that I wanted to just quickly quote is John 17, verse 1. And it says, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And obviously that's about his death and resurrection afterwards. So Jesus himself said, the hour has come. Again, it wasn't just random. He wasn't caught by surprise, you know. It was... As Romans 5, 6 says, at just the right time. Just the right time. So the sentence continues. Let's start from the top. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. Now, Paul has an interesting way of, of referring to us sometimes, especially in Romans. He calls us um, powerless, like he just did. Um, he calls us sinners, ungodly. Um, later on, we read he calls us enemies. Um, and actually, apparently, the, the original in Greek, I'm not going to dare to try and pronounce that word, but it, it can imply feeble or sickly. So, you know, Paul was saying all these wonderful things about us, how we are, you know, so powerless and, and helpless and, and weak and we can't really do, you know, anything, um, salvation-wise. Um, and yet, it is for us that Jesus died. While we were still all these things, you know, powerless and helpless and sickly and feeble and, and sinners and ungodly. So nothing about us earned this salvation. It wasn't about us following the law, well, or the Jews following the law, 
or it wasn't how good we were and, or how good we could be so he, he could love us. It wasn't all that. It was entirely offered on the basis of God's grace alone because he, like we were saying earlier today, God is love. It is his nature. It's not that we are so amazing. He's like, oh yeah, you're worthy of salvation. It's not that at all. And this is both for Jews and Gentiles, like Paul keeps repeating through Romans. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Like he's been writing through the book of Romans. So even the Jews who thought they were righteous because um, they did try to follow the law, a lot of them did follow a lot of the law, um, you know, they're still human, even if they managed to follow most of the law, if they could. But the thing is, with the law, is if you, if you miss one little thing, you, you're already tainted. You know, to be righteous, you should follow the law fully all the time. All the time. And that is actually humanly impossible, really, to follow it. 24-7, 365 days a week, your whole life, that's a long time. There's a lot of rules to follow. You know, and it's a bunch of humans trying to follow a divine law. I mean, it wouldn't work, would it? And it didn't. <laughs> so, of course, as humans, we can do good things, and hopefully we do, um, but we also do bad things. Same person can do good and bad, and we all do. I mean, I don't need to convince you, surely. If anything, you, would, you at least know yourself, <laughs> at least. So, you know, we... We're just not, we're not holy, we're not perfect, we're not righteous, at least not to God's standards. But even with us being like we are, like Paul says so kindly, sinners, ungodly, powerless, helpless, feeble, and sickly, the last bit of the sentence says, Christ died for the ungodly. So God proved his love for us by acting first. He didn't wait for us to, to start doing these marvelous deeds or to, you know, try and save all the people, us, you know, be good enough to do anything. He didn't wait for any of that because he knew it wasn't going to happen, not to his standards at least. You know, he didn't make arrangements with us ahead of time or wait for us to be strong, or godly, or worthy of being saved. He loved us, and took action to save us while we were still ungodly, and powerless. Um, the situation in Ukraine has been mentioned before, and, you know, it's, I did wonder whether to mention this or not, because it, it, it is quite heavy you know, everything that's happening there. And I think I've personally been struggling with it a lot since it all started, more than I expected and more than any other, like, big war thing or terrorist attack or anything that has happened in my lifetime that I watched the news. I don't think anything has impacted me as much as, as this because I think now because I'm a mother and 
now that made me more empathetic. I, I was never really an empathetic person. But becoming a mother made me connect at least other mothers. And I just can't help but think of the mothers who are losing their kids in this. And they're all innocent. I mean, you know, I'm not talking necessarily about the mothers who who have soldiers for, for kids. I mean, them as well, obviously. But I was mainly thinking of like little kids who are being killed. And it's just, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it very well at all. But as I was, I was reading this and I was preparing this talk, I was quite like mind blown because it says, Christ died for the ungodly. And as humans, we think, oh, there's different levels of badness or different levels of ungodliness. There is, um, oh, my ungodliness is, you know, I'm not honest all the time or I, I tell white lies because I'm just being polite or, you know, basic low-level ungodliness. And then there is you know, from our human perspective, or mine at least, there's this big ungodly level that's just so high and it's like these, these murderers and dictators and they're just really evil people. But it's all ungodliness, really, you know? And it's quite unsettling that, well, for me at least, that Christ died for those people too. You know, he died for the ungodly. That's very ungodly, <laughs> even in our human perspective, but obviously we are ungodly too. And I don't know, I, I just found that like, is a lot. And I always say that, and I'll say it again, it's so good that I'm not God because I wouldn't deal well with this. I wouldn't deal well with these people. <laughs> but God died for them too. And that is... It's quite incredible, actually. So, to conclude, um, well, you know, God knows us. He's known us since before we knew ourselves. He knew everything that we were going to do. He does know everything that we are currently doing and everything that we are going to do, both, both as individuals and as a society, as humanity, even. He just knows it all. And yet, he still loved us, still chose to die for us, even though he knew all this stuff, both has happened and it, what's happening and the stuff that's going to happen, both good and bad. And he still loves us. Like, oh, it's, I, I, it's crazy, crazy. It's great, great for us. He still chose to have a plan to bring us all back to him, all of us, both the low-level ungodliness and the, whoa, you're evil type of ungodly. All of us. He has the plan that all of us can fit in by making us all righteous by his standards. He chose to die as a sacrifice so that we could be made righteous by his perfect, sinless blood. So it's not about what we do and don't do, what we have or haven't done, about the level of our ungodliness. It's about what God himself 
chose to do at just the right time. It's about his having mercy on us and giving us his grace. Only this way we can be made righteous again. A very simple way. Very simple for us. It wasn't that simple for him, I don't think. Um, all we need to do is believe that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to make us righteous. Any one of us. We don't need to turn good before we do that. We don't need to become super godly before we choose to believe. Literally, all we need to do is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he died and rose again for us. That's all we need to do. And I hope that you've already decided to believe that because, again, that's all you need to do. Thank you. <laughs>